happy Monday. So we are rounding the corner almost. I can't even believe I'm going to say this going into the holiday season. We're getting closer and closer to the end of the finish line for 2022. So if you are an entrepreneur or a startup leader or someone like that, who is right in the swing of your, your strategic planning and you need a little help, give me a shout because I am in full swing with that with many a client right now, trying to figure out you know what next year looks like, tie up those loose ends, different things like that. So reach out if you need support. But for right now, I am jumping in with the fantastic Ivan Palomino. Let's go. <laughs> Ever found yourself teetering on the edge of throwing in the towel? You know, asking yourself questions like, is this supposed to be this hard? Or is it even possible to succeed at this entrepreneur thing? Whew, I completely get it. Because I built my successful businesses while juggling major health issues for my children and myself, debt piling up to my eyeballs, and so much more. Want to know how the hell I succeeded and how you can too? Tune in to find out. Here we go. Hey there, entrepreneur. Welcome to today's show. Man, do we have a relevant topic for you all today. I am joined by Ivan Pelomino, and he is a three-time founder, and today is focused on scaling up Bacern, which uses brain science to enable change in organizations, which is super cool. He has extensive corporate experience in innovation and marketing. In 2018, he was diagnosed with burnout and is still struggling with his mental health, like many of us are, myself included today. And he considers purpose in his venture very important as a piece of his personal therapy. He was born in Peru, raised in Switzerland, and now lives in Dubai. So goodness gracious, you've been all over the place, Ivan. So thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you, Michelle. So just to give a little bit of background. So I, I grew up in Peru until the age of 15. And then, and that's the reason why I have this Sofia Vergara type of Spanish <laughs> accent. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and then I grew up in the French-speaking side of uh, Switzerland. Um, what I have to highlight is, and it's something important with my story, is that I, I come from a social economical background that is considered poor, Peru, in yeah. the middle of nowhere. Um, so that's something that has kind of shaped the way my relationship with money, in fact. Sure. And, and that relationship with money has a lot to do with what happens in my, in my story. So in during I have studied in Switzerland, I'm an engineer, so I'm, I'm, I'm a kind of person who is always thinking about numbers, model, yep. modelizing lives and all the stuff. And, and then I have been working in the corporate world like approximately 18 years. That's a lot, by the way. Yeah, yeah. And, and it was like kind of nice because I had the opportunity to travel around the world. In, in fact, awesome. I, probably I have been to more than 100 different countries. How many uh, languages do you speak? Do you speak lots of languages too? <laughs> I I do speak English, as you have noticed. <laughs> Obviously. I do, English. Um, I do speak French because I grew up in Switzerland. Um, yeah. And I then Spanish because that's my mother tongue, even though I don't practice it enough. Yeah. Uh, and then I learn because of life 
languages that were not necessarily useful, like German, because it's mandatory in Switzerland to learn German, and then Danish, because once upon a time, Ivan fell in love with a Danish lady and he followed her <laughs> up to Denmark. That's the Latin Of course she did. Yes, exactly. I, I was young, 19, and then I had to follow her. So <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. That's well, part of the story. Yeah, I, I'm excited to hear more of your story. But first, let's talk about the topic that we talk about here, which is adversity, my friend. So can you tell us about some sort of adversity that you have faced as an entrepreneur and the tools that you've used to kind of overcome it? Okay, so we are jumping directly to the entrepreneur life. Um, <laughs> So first of all, nothing prepares you in the corporate world to be an entrepreneur because you need to be so agile, so quick to react to the market. And one of the things that I didn't know how to do, because the initial foundation of of this company, Besson, it was about doing a tech startup uh, in education. Uh, The funny thing is that to do a tech or startup, you need to raise money. Something that I, I wasn't, I didn't know how to do it. I thought that is going to be like a little bit like the corporate presentations where you present many slides uh, in order to tell a story and sometimes it's going to be a big invention of yours. Um, it wasn't that easy. In fact, no. this part, this relationship in order to raise money was one of the most complicated uh, parts of, uh, of my entrepreneurial journey. And this is where I get back to something that is the initial point of discussions, my burnout. Yeah. Uh, I had this burnout back in the corporate corporate life, and that was the reason why I had to leave. Um, and during that time of as an entrepreneur, it was almost like it was coming back this level of stress, lack of control of your life. Yes. And believe me, this raising the money, it was the trigger for again getting it back. It's a little bit like I compare burnout a little bit like being an alcoholic. Yeah, so you never get rid of No, you stuff. don't. I agree. I agree. So you always have to deal with uh, with that. Um, so coming back to the raising the money, that was a key decision that uh, fortunately my co-founder and I took together. It's about saying, if this is going to lead to you, Ivan, having your burnout again uh, and not being capable of being productive, innovative, having ideas and doing your nerd stuff, which is, that's my role in the company, um, then we have to stop it. Yeah. So during the time of raising the money, uh, we we had already blocked 50% of our target of the money that we needed in order to to continue uh, developing our app. Uh, We decided to freeze it, to say, we stop here because the the sense of not having the control of where this is was going, the pressure that you have, even though it looks like funny to say, these are presentations that last approximately 15 to 20 minutes, and then you have 45 minutes of questions and yeah. all the stuff. Yeah. You get grilled. Not- you get grilled with questions when you're asking for money. Right. It's hard. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. People believe that because you have been in the corporate life, you can really go with it, but it's not that easy because you have to comply with so many specific requirements every time that you're presenting to a different investor. Mm -hmm. So we decided to close it. And also, it was also a good decision today after close to one year after the last um, funding raising. So we we have progressed, but in our pace, 
my co-founder and I, we have uh, we have progressed, maybe not in the in the way that most of the entrepreneurs would like, like saying 5x, 6x uh, every year. Yeah. But we have yeah. done it in our pace and we have, a, fortunately, a company that is progressing, but in a more human um, way, yeah. because it takes care of myself, yeah. Uh, yeah. takes care of how we engage other people, employees in order to help us develop the, the company in a, in a human scale. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think <laughs> so many good points right there, Ivan. Um, I've seen so many people go through that funding, the funding pitches and the the beating the streets essentially, right. For the money. And, and I think they definitely underestimate the emotional toll, especially if you are a founder of an organization and your, your business almost becomes an extension of you. Right. Mm -hmm. So then you, every pitch that you go into, it feels like it can feel like, and I've heard people say this, that it feels almost like a personal assault, right? Because they're asking questions and they're picking it apart. And if you don't have a really good, strong self-worth about you as well, you can definitely collapse under that pressure, right? Exactly. But what we have to understand about the this uh, mental illness, which is burnout, it yeah. is not yeah. the amount of time that you devote to grow the baby. Uh, it is it not that that you don't accept criticism. Uh, criticism yeah. is yeah. good. Yeah. Uh, the lack of control because every time somebody is going to ask a piece of you that you are not prepared to give away. So it's almost like you don't have the control of your life. And when there is this misalignment of what you believe in, your values of how you see progressing your company and your personal life, then this misalignment, this in psychology, they call it cognitive dissonance. When you are not living the life that you want, this right. is where your burnout kicks in, creates yeah. unnecessary stress. And then you go back to the bad patterns, sleeping really bad, uh, brain freeze. In fact, you know, you are working yeah. on something and you, and you spend hours instead of something that usually takes you 20 minutes to do, then you are doing it for three, four hours. Yeah. Uh, that is painful because you don't feel that you have the, the, your life in control. Yeah. And I think people underestimate old habits, right? Like you just said, like you slid right back to where mm. to you were, right? And I think I think it's a lot stronger. And I like how you kind of equated it to addiction on that level because um, over here in the United States, it's definitely an addiction, right? The, the badge of busy, that kind of like, if you're not hustling, if you're not grinding, if you're not running your ass off, then you are not enough, right? Mm. You are not, you know, if you're not quite exhausted and running yourself ragged, you know, I think it's becoming less sexy than it used to be. But I think that was part of the game. And I think you and I talked about this before the episode too, about like, there's a shame that's associated with slowing down sometimes, right? Exactly. How can you be a successful entrepreneur if you are not capable of controlling your emotions, controlling right. the, uh, uh, portraying this image that you are successful making money every day hustling? You cannot say it. And there is a shame and it takes time in... I'm based in Dubai, so and I'm, from time to time I'm hanging around with people in the in the startup world. We have a, have a drink together, and it's very difficult to to make say to someone, I, "I'm not copying." You really need to spend a lot of time until one entrepreneur, one founder is going to tell you, "Really, I'm almost divorcing. Really, I don't have a life. I don't. Yeah. I, I haven't seen my child." Uh, yeah. Maybe, sad discussions because it is 
basically a shame. You you cannot talk with a venture capitalist and say, hey, by the way, I have My a life's a shit show. Yeah, I'm a mess. Is that cool? Give me money. Exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. And Michelle, that's one of the reasons why I, why I, I found quite important the role that your show has is to make entrepreneurs talk about it yeah. in, a, in, a, in the most vulnerable way. Because what I'm expecting out of this discussion is that they say, hey, it happened to Ivan, this Sofia Vergara type of guy uh, based in Dubai. Uh, it happens to me. So yeah. I, we have to be able to talk about it and, and say things as, uh, as they are. And because that will make us stronger. The yes. acknowledging that you are in a situation that, where it, that is super difficult. And sometimes it's not your friend, the funny friend that will understand it. It's sometimes it's not going to be your empathetic wife who believes that you are the best uh, guy in the world because you are inventing something, creating something. Uh, sometimes it's just about saying it to yes. everyone yes. so that people start talking about it. Yes. We founders, we fail because we don't have the control of what it is in our brain. And mm -hmm. To have the control, we have to acknowledge it and share it with others. Yes. I mean, I think, you know, we say a lot of the times on this show, entrepreneurship is a marathon, not a sprint. And I think you just hit it on, you just hit the nail on the head where you said it's the mental game of entrepreneurship. Yeah. I have met so many brilliant, brilliant CEOs and brilliant founders. But if you, you know, are in it five, six years, I think like you need to be mentally prepared to run that marathon. You know, yeah. I think, you know, for myself personally, about a year ago, my body started shutting down and my mind started shutting down because I was, I was like you burnt out, done. And psychologically, my body was going into freeze every time any level of stress would hit. So my heart rate would drop. There was a point where I was taken out by ambulance in front of my yeah. nine-year-old, which is not a place anyone wants to be, yeah. but it's because again, it wasn't necessarily to your point. It's not that I'm working a million hours and I'm, you know, it was that I slipped right back to where I was at corporate. And I thought that I could do it. Right. Mm -hmm. And it was like, if I couldn't do it, you had to almost admit to it. But to your other point, the more you talk about it, at least this is like one of my big missions in life is it's exactly why I do this podcast. Why I do a lot of things is the more we talk about it, the more we give permission to other people to talk about it, because right now they're all feeling alone. Like I imagine in your shoes, when you were in that, you were like, oh, I must be the only, am I the only one doing this? Like, then there's something that becomes a, is there something wrong with me conversation, right? Versus a, no, everyone's like this. Just some people are better at hiding it. Yeah. I mean, back in the days when I was younger, I was, I, I think that I was able to hide a little bit better yeah. this, sometimes this lack of confidence uh, I was able to, to to hide it because I don't know. It's almost like you uh, you are in the, in the flow of progression, and there is a lot of I don't know, like push in your brain, saying yeah. it's yeah. like adrenaline, and yeah. you can handle it better. When you reach the forties, yeah. I would say that your values are kicking in, and and there is something that changes where you see reality, you get this lucidity. And then you cannot just push yourself without believing. And, right. and that's, that, Michelle, is, it goes into something that you are going to find a little bit contradictory. When what you do as an entrepreneur has purpose, it's almost like it helps you continue and heal right. out of your, uh, your problem. It's like, I don't know, back in the days, I, I, I remember that people uh, 
who were having psychological problems I were telling me that the best way to get out of a problem is to help others. And I know a lot of life coaches, by the way, who because of their personal stories, they, they got the purpose in what they do. And it is true. When you see results and you think I'm doing it not for the money, and we will get back to the, my relationship with money, by the way. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, but I, I'm doing it because I, I like to see impact on, on what I do. People dealing better with performance at work, but in a human way, because I have got these mental processes that will help me that I, it can be useful at work, but also in my personal life to deal with priorities, with deal to find yourself, uh, to understand yourself a little bit better. Principles that that are difficult to sell to a company. By the way, when we started, uh, when we started working with Besson, our focus was in mental well-being, and that was pre-COVID. And believe me, nobody was listening to us. No, they didn't want to talk about it then. No, I agree because I was doing similar stuff and nobody wanted to talk about it until it hit their bottom line (laughs) and the people were breaking down. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. So that's a little bit part of of the story, uh, Michelle. Mm -hmm. No, I mean, I think it's, I think it's wonderful to hear you, you speak it out loud. And I think, I think the the figuring out your own values, figuring out your own purpose. And I think it's sometimes couched in the like, what's your why, right? And I understand that, yeah. but it's also a matter of like, what values do you want to live into as a human being on this planet, right? Mm-hmm. Like I know, like I've done a million different values exercises and I do them with my clients all the time, but I don't think that unless you have a coach in front of you, unless you've gone through something like maybe you've gone through, I don't know that you sit down and say, hmm, I wonder what my values are right now, but I think you should, right? (laughs) Like that should be a thing everybody does. We all should, but as you mentioned it, if if we don't have somebody to bounce ideas, we believe, we are going to start believing that the influence from the outside, whatever is like, let's say that I'm living in in Dubai and you have heard that the lifestyle in Dubai is about status, is about showing that we are successful because everybody comes here to earn big bucks. Right. But if you don't have someone to make the process, we misunderstand that what the society is dictating, is it my values? Is it the pre-programming that we have in our brain? Like whatever our parents have told us, you are not good in math, you are a woman, you should be doing that, uh, or husband or partners or whoever has, has been telling us a lot of things has been written, hard-coded in our brain. And in order to understand our, uh, our values, we need to remove what has been hard dictated by others to understand what makes us joyful, live uh, a life that is fulfilling because the, the, the understanding of fulfillment Believe me, it's something that is so hard. And I go back to my my personal story with money. I thought that I had to stay in my corporate wo- uh, work because I needed that money in for me because I came from a poor background and I don't want to get back anymore. Right. And I was right. then I was justifying my family needs that money. And I can tell you, it was bullcrap. It was really bullcrap. My life as an entrepreneur has reduced the amount of available income drastically because when you have a startup you are reinvesting almost everything Yep, exactly yeah but i bet you you it brought you back i think that's the difference right it it brought my brain back it brought my family together 
I was fortunate that I have a, a, a partner, my, my wife, who is somebody who don't think the, the same in the same way as me. So she's a bit more of a judging, uh, empathic, let's say, uh, bounce uh, board to, to, to discuss ideas. And she, under she understood what I was going through. She didn't push me to things that I didn't want to do. My daughters are people who recognize saying, okay, maybe we don't have the money to have the two times per year, nice holidays in a fancy location, but I have my father present. And when they say present, I understand the word because when I was present and under burnout, I can tell you I was either like a zombie or I was in a bad mood, not receptive to whatever they were saying. Yeah. Yeah. And I think people underestimate and they don't see that or they normalize it, right? And mm. like, this is just how it's supposed to be. And they forget that if that is how it is, like you have a choice, like you, you actually can make it. It may make you uncomfortable because I did something similar to you where I cut our income in half over here mm. where my husband yeah. and I are both working like six figure jobs. And then all of a sudden I was like, nope, I'm out, you know, and that does definitely impact your your lifestyle in a major way, but you regain yourself. And again, I'm not, I'm not anti-money. I don't want, I want to make that clear too. And I don't think you are either. Like we're not anti-money, but mm -hmm. we are probably pro having your values in place, having your purpose being the driver mm -hmm. and understanding what you want, right? Mm -hmm. Like what you actually want your life to look like and how you want to show up in this world. And then the money kind of comes, right? Like that's it how I look at it. It is what is funny is that, that it's a natural process because you are so focused on having the impact that good results come. Customers come because they they see that what you are doing is with passion, with yeah. caring, uh, that you are impacting the life of employees in a, in a, in our case, and customers come naturally. But if your KPI to, for success is revenue, then you're screwed. Yeah. Definitely. You, you are not going into the, the right uh, right direction. And that breaks a person. That makes you drop the ball and that mentally doesn't align. And then every hour that you will spend working on your uh, venture, it will be like going to work. And the main idea is that not to be at work, is yeah. to enjoy what we, are, what we are doing, these interactions. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you hate what you're doing and you're an entrepreneur, I don't, I don't understand, like, I never understand that. Right. Because I've seen some and I'm like, but entrepreneur, you're, I, I understand it again, life contracts, you have to pay the mortgage. You have to do fine. Mm. Sure. I get that. But at the same time, you know, if you are an entrepreneur right now, listening to this and you are miserable in what you're doing, you need to have a really good conversation with yourself and those around you to say like, okay, like, I have just recreated for me. I was always very dedicated to not recreating my corporate version to your point earlier, right? Not recreating the, who I was in corporate, just an entrepreneur with an entrepreneur label, right? Mm. So you need to be very careful and be constantly rechecking in with yourself and reassessing the situation to make sure that you are still in alignment. Cause it's very easy mm. to slip out as well. Like, like we've talked about. Mm. That's exactly a, a, an extremely good point that you have put. So, and that drives us to, as an entrepreneur, how can I avoid going into the direction of, of, of burnout? How can I rewrite a little bit the, the code of how we, how we live? So I think that it's quite important to do these constant check-ins as, as an entrepreneur, to get the time to disconnect of yes. reading the emails, 
and have a time with yourself to, because you need to check continuously that you are what you are doing is in line with what you imagined your these values or yeah. I don't even like the the, the word values but yeah, because I go back it and forth is on it too. difficult in your brain but these behaviors that you want to have every single day like do I want to be the type of uh, of person entrepreneur who can still interact with my daughters uh, if they have a question about homework. Uh, do I want to have a time uh, with uh, specifically with my wife so that I can maintain my relationship and have this her support back? <laughs> In fact, that's a price to uh, to pay. So we need to create these micro moments uh, where we are constantly in check-in. As an entrepreneur, you cannot just work 18 hours without these micro breaks. Right. And by the way, this is what allows me to be in control still of, of, of my life is that to have certain number of routines, once some of them that I do just be, uh, before opening the, uh, the laptop in the morning, mm-hmm. I wake up at six o'clock in the morning, I don't open the laptop until seven. So in between, I need to do a couple of check-ins and that allows me to have the sense of control. What do I want to achieve today? Am I doing still something that I, I enjoy? Did I have the impact that I, uh, um, uh, that I, that I wanted? What would look an amazing, good day today? And that's the type of, of things that it, it looks stupid, right? Because in, a, in my brain of engineer, you think, how can the brains be so moronic? But in reality, it is not. There is a psychology, there is psychology and advancements in terms of how the brain processes joy, happiness, fulfillment, sadness, emotions, that has been growing constantly during the last years. The, 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 the rise of neuroscience has made it that now we can um, we can do a correlation that is more scientific than in the past with just psychology, because it looked like psychology was more observation. But today we can see this observation in our brain. Yeah. How molecules react to the actions that we that we have, why there is so much friction to to be motivated in what we do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think in I'm I'm looking forward to the next like 10 years and seeing also the generations behind us coming up. And because their mm-hmm. their approach to work is a lot different than maybe we were taught, you know, and they need the motivating. They they want their life style to to look a certain way and to feel a certain way. They want to be motivated by purpose, things like mm. that. So I mean I wonder, I always want like I'm always looking at everything as one big kind of study anyway. <laughs> when I'm looking, I always look at the data of everything. Um but I'm I'm gonna be curious to see in the next 10 years how the workplace evolves to accommodate exactly the things that you're saying that more and more people are saying we want and it's a non-negotiable for us, right? I think it is going to be painful for corporations, Mm -hmm. believe me. So there is already studies that were done during the COVID times to see what are the minorities that are most affected uh, affected at work. Generation Z is, they are capable of burning out after three to six months of coming to the workplace, especially because they have to work, rem- they had to work remotely. Yeah. It, it, the second, the, uh, the, the second um, group is women who have, as we know, more accountability and responsibilities in our society. The ones how, dealing with home and dealing with work at the, sa- at the, at the same time, that breaks a person. Yeah. So, and, yes. And corporations haven't done enough to, uh, today 
in order to accommodate that because they are breaking in an easier way. While my generation, I'm generation X, I'm not, I'm not even a millennial anymore. Uh, I, um, I'm a generation X. We were programmed to say success is earning money in a good company. For this Gen Z, success is having doing something that is for the good of the, our society, yeah. that is meaningful, where I have the opportunity to learn continuously. I don't think that we are accommodating this generation and they are brilliant. They know about digital. They, they, they learn in an easier way. Like in six minutes, they go in YouTube, they learn a new skill. They are not like us wanting to do an online course of six hours or reading a book <laughs> in order to... <laughs> yeah, no, they're like, they're 15 steps ahead of all of us. And I think, you know, I just, I look at these companies and I'm like, you guys, you, it's like, it's like turning the Titanic. It's like a massive thing to get them to change, but it's almost like an evolve or die situation coming soon. Like, and I think some of these like enterprise level companies and these massive companies, some of them are waking up to it, but some mm -hmm. of them are going to lose, you know, a large part of their workforce if they don't. Uh, they are losing it. As, as you know, there is this big uh, movement of yeah. leaving works because lack of purpose, they don't feel valued and so on. But the younger generation, in my opinion, will go into jobs where they have their own decisions. So they will prefer to work for maybe 10% of a, a good salary, yeah. but doing something with purpose. And the, the worst is going to be that companies will have to pay them as an outsourced service. And that is going to cost even more for corporations yeah. Yeah. because these yeah. guys are going to be sitting in an island, sitting in a, in a cheap location, working re uh, remotely, dictating their own lines of work. And yeah. it's going to yeah. be tough for companies to get them back. Yeah. And I think we, you and I should be taking, should maintain, maintain taking a page out of that book, right? That like purpose-driven keeping that at the front of our, of our forethought, not reverting back into old patterns, <laughs> like, you know, all of that kind of keeping that fresh and then, you know, leading the charge, like you are with your company as well, like leading the charge into conversations like that. So can you tell people exactly kind of what your company is doing? Cause I know you guys, you guys do some, some really amazing work. Um, listen, so I, I mentioned to you earlier that when we started, we wanted to be full well-being and the reason was because if you are not good with yourself you cannot be productive you cannot yeah, be in, in, innovative okay. stress is something that in your brain produces that you are blocked to be to be productive i mean i don't know how many times i have been part of brainstorming sessions lasting eight hours so they want you to be innovative in sessions that where there is high level of pressure that contradicts how our, our how brain processes innovation. Yeah. It, it, cannot, it, it cannot be working. So we went into the area of well-being. Unfortunately, cor corporations were not ready at that moment. So we pivoted our services in order to, to say, how can we create that people, instead of just learning, acquiring knowledge about a skill that you need to acquire, let's say communication skills, or let's say better empathy, or being a leader who is capable of igniting the fire in the teams, making them uh, creating a movement. So, and these are things that we went into research into understanding through behavioral change. What is exactly the things that makes the movement that from I know to I want to do it to I really do it. Yeah. So yeah. we have applied, a we have 
is not created because that methodology it makes at least 12 to 15 years that, that is already existing. But how can we create a, a, a journey where a process, a mental process where people can go into practicing new skills in a, in a way that is brain friendly? Right. And that's when we started proposing a productivity, um, how can I, can I call it, trainings in the way that people can have results, real actions that are measurable instead of having just satisfaction surveys. Hey, he was funny, this uh, uh, Spanish uh, looking, uh, looking guy. Uh, that it was more about real tangible results. So we invested on creating the tools, digital tools to track that there is progress, that people, that to make it easy for people to have access to facilitators at any time, because we have questions all the time. Yeah. Secondly, yeah. that when you teach someone, it's not, you are not learning for two, three hours, but you are learning in bits of pieces with a real person so that you have the time to digest and one part of the knowledge and put it in practice right away. Mm-hmm. And so that people feel a little bit that is more personalized because the challenges that people have in order to be more empathic are different from person to person. I'm giving the example about empathy. So, uh, so it needs to be kind of individualized. So we have created a combination of live sessions together with digital access to track performance improvement on, on people and give more accessibility to uh, to facilitators. So it's, it's almost like taking huh, uh, example from the coaching perspective, yeah. but it, yeah. In, in our case, we wanted to make it like a, a real process that is scalable at, in large or, organizations. Yes. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I like the fact that you're giving kind of bite-sized chunks, right? Because that's the thing in coaching is people always, co- they come in and they want it yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, I have that conversation with people all the time where they come in and they want transformation for me in one hour. Um, and I was like, you got, you've tuned me out after the first 15 minutes. Like I can't, like, it, it takes a long time to kind of undo the stuff and have it land in the right way that actually transforms people's way of being to your point, not just like, Oh, I heard this cool thing. Like, no, we're talking about like their, their actual behaviors. Like that is, that takes a lot longer and a lot more comprehension time, I would think. Right. Exactly. Michelle. So, and and the clear example is like at the end of the year, many of us, we want to have, I don't know, a healthier lifestyle to say let's say eat less chocolate or, or go to the gym. And already that simple thing, we cannot just do it from one day to the other. We start the gym and our motivation goes to hell because there is too much effort yeah, to be done. You need a micro step, like you said. Like yeah, a micro exactly. Step. Yep. And, mm-hmm. and that's something that usually I use in the conversations with human resources people. If it takes, if, if that happens to you, imagine change in a big organization. Just knowing the benefits yeah. of changing will not help. Just knowing the, the benefits of having a healthy lifestyle doesn't help people to really do it, right? Right. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that in compounding with like, so when I was in corporate, we were bought and sold like multiple times. So multiple layoffs, multiple just, and I was in operation. So we were changing like every five seconds. And I remember Ooh. having conversations with leaders about stuff like, no, there's different profiles around change management. You can't just be like, hey, change. 
<laughs> and have everybody do it. Like everybody, to your point, it's personalized. You know, they're, they come to the table with their own stuff, right? So if you're not handing it to them in micro doses, it's not going to last. They may change to appease you or to keep their jobs or to whatever that instant kind of gratification is thing, but it's not going to last, right? It, it, exactly. And most of these change management processes that are applied in corporations, they come from the 70s. So what does it mean is that one, we have change. We cannot use, I don't know, the ad car model or I don't know, the McKinsey. Most, one of the recent ones, I think it was, is called the 7S of, of McKinsey yeah. because it's almost like believing that advertising is going to make people change. But human beings have become a little bit more lucid and understand that this is, I'm being manipulated to do something that I still don't believe in. Right. To, right. It's almost right. like purchasing something that you don't really need. Yeah. So, and yeah. that's where the individualized approach helps. And it doesn't have to be expensive. It doesn't have to be like, I need 1000 coaches to change my sex 60,000 no. uh, employees yeah. Yeah. company. Yeah. Mm. No, it doesn't. I mean, I think it's, I think also we need to not overcomplicate it. Like you were saying, like, don't, don't try to make it one big old PR campaign of why everybody should change, you know, really get to the mm. center of like, what's in it for them. What's in it for mm. them to make them want to change. Right. Like that's the question I tell clients all the time of like, when they're trying to convert or trying to sell or trying whatever, I'm like, well, what's in it for the other person? Like, if you can mm. understand that and you can understand what motivates that person, then you move them to change. But if you just are going to try to make it look as sexy as possible and they're going to see right through that crap, they're going to say, no, you're doing this because it's in your best interest. It's not necessarily in mine, right? As the company. Exactly. And we understand it. We are not that dumb as employees to <laughs> don't understand that. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I think just don't underestimate your people, folks, especially like we live in the Facebook age where we're getting served ads every fucking five seconds. Pardon my French, but like, you know, we, we know better. We, we know, or some don't, I don't know, but hopefully the majority of us do. Um, well, you know, we could talk about this for like another 12 hours. I feel like, because I think I am, I am very much in alignment with a lot of the things you are saying friend, but, but we can't cause it's a podcast and people will eventually sign off from us. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> right. Can you please tell folks where they can learn more about you and dive into more of your content, please? So one of the things that I, I would recommend is we are doing two things that are quite, quite important. So I don't want to preach about my company, but if you want to know about my company is besser.co, B-E-S-S-E-R-N.co. But what I want you to do is that if you just want to learn new things, you have the possibility to understand from the brain science point of view, what is, how do you learn new things? We have a podcast. So where that is called Learn with Besson, simple, uh, that you can see either in, a, in our YouTube channel or in any of the podcast or directories. Um, and the other thing is that every six months, uh, we are doing an event that is more about understanding well-being in a different manner. And that, Michelle, I have to thank you because yeah. you were part of the last, the, the last wave where where the, the idea is to say, we talk, there is a lot of talks about well-being, but how can we understand it from a visual way in short, in short uh, slides, just is about a visual immersive experience where people are sharing their own personal stories. By the way, your story about 
your journey of resilience was quite impressive, quite touching, and I really loved it. And Michelle, thank you very much for, for, for that. So if you want to know about more, reimagine well-being, we have tons of content in, in our YouTube channel. The next one is going to be uh, around February next year. We try to do it every six months. This is our way of contributing to our community. And I think we never have enough of learning about ourselves, of having impressive, inspiring uh, ideas. Yeah. Yeah. No, I loved the concept that you had because reimagining well-being, right? Because we all need to do that. Even if you mm -hmm. think you've got it, there's always room to reimagine it. That's kind of where, exactly. I, where I think with that. Exactly. Well, well, Ivan, thank you so much for being here with me today. This has been wonderful. Thank you, Michelle. It was really nice to spend time with you. Oh, I just love Ivan. I really do. You know, he's he's got such a wonderful story. And especially when it comes to things like openly speaking about burnout and getting really clear and authentic on these, these tough topics. You know, I see it a lot. I see it in clients. I see it in, you know, startup founders, in C-suite execs. You know, it's this it's this do not talk about it topic, right? There's so many different things in that in that realm. And Ivan just lays it on the table and he's an absolutely lovely, lovely human being. So please go check out his company's website, his own website and consume some more of his material. And on next week's episode, I am welcoming Monica Adwani, who is absolutely lovely. And you're going to just, you're going to just want to listen to her episode over and over again. She is a huge champion of women, women, Latinos, and she is a partner in two different companies, but she has a hell of a story when it comes to workplace trauma, burnout, you know, toxic relationships, all sorts of different things that, you know, she had to go through in order to come out the other side and become the incredible leader that she is. So you don't want to miss it. And if you love this podcast, please don't forget to subscribe, download, follow, rate, and review. And, you know, tell a friend because who couldn't use a little more resilience in their life, right? See you later.